Little did I know when um, Pastor Derek was granted that respite, did I know how this sermon schedule was going to shake out, knowing uh, I was going to try and get some guest speakers. And so I find it interesting that we got through Ephesians chapter 1, and then we had Troy and Bruce, and then Troy again, cutting to the heart. Um, and now we're ready to start Ephesians chapter 2. And the reason, uh, think about it, think with me uh, about it, because some look at Ephesians chapter 1 as the gospel from God's viewpoint. And then we had this interlude with these three series, uh, uh, Cutting to the Heart. Chapter 2 is the gospel from our viewpoint. Uh, from God's viewpoint there in chapter 1, because we read in chapter 1 that God chose, He predestined. In chapter 1-9, we see He made known the mystery of His will according to His pleasure, which He purposed in Christ Jesus. And then we had the break in the life of our church. And individuals were challenged to allow the master surgeon, even though it's painful, to submit to the scalpel and allow him to reveal the true source of our pain that's in uh, the hearts of all mankind. And so now, let me help you connect the dots as we start on chapter 2. Here's how I would connect all the dots. Chapter 1, cutting to the heart, and now chapter 2. For the gospel to make sense, all of us must recognize the need of the heart. And when I say heart, I'm talking about that part that is eternal. That part that is imperishable. That will not end. My goal this morning is to awaken the awareness that in the heart there is a desperate and dire need. We see that right out on chapter uh, 2, verse 1. Look at it there. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins. You were dead. Now, if you do not believe your life is in peril, in danger... This idea of a savior is ho-hum. It's bothersome to you. If you do not perceive danger yourself, the great rescue is an annoyance. If I were walking down the sidewalk here in Dallas, like I often do, and somebody threw a life preserver, and it hit me, I would be annoyed. I'd be irritated. I would think some kids were playing in the yard and they got out of hand. But if I was on a ship and I fell overboard into the ocean and I got hit by a life preserver, my oh my, would I think differently. I would be so thankful that somebody threw that life preserver I would welcome it. 
My aim today is to convince you of the condition of your soul that it needs saving. It needs to be rescued in order to enter the kingdom of God in the age to come. I will use two evidences that there is. That part in us, this eternal part, this imperishable part that needs to be saved. And the first and the foremost is the Bible. The Word of God. And so I'm speaking knowing that most of you are Christians, but those who are not, this is your starting point is to go to the Scriptures and determine what do you believe about this book? Is it uniquely different? Is it inspired? Is the, did the Creator Himself reveal this to us to communicate a message to us? That's the first step that you have to discern and come to a decision on. And I say that because if you're listening and you have not uh, had a sense that uh, you do need to be saved, start there with the Word of God and what is your posture towards it. We as a church, ever you want to investigate that more fully, uh, let me know. And it's great to ask questions because this scripture says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead means dead. You are either dead or alive. You are either all dead or all alive. There is no half dead, half alive. You may be partly awake, half awake, but there's no such category for alive. It's either all or nothing. You cannot be half dead, half alive. Dead means in the Greek necros, it means that you're not able to respond to impulses or perform functions. You are powerless. Unable to respond. You're unresponsive to life-giving influences. It means you're without any sensation. There's nothing within that can respond to stimuli. Uh, one commentator told a story. Uh, he was working in his way through seminary, and he had a night job in a mortuary. Oh, my goodness. That would be kind of freaky. I don't know. Maybe he was just doing janitorial work. And one night he was doing his work, and he saw an open casket. And, of course, he went up to it. And he saw the, the corpse lying in there. And he said, Guess what that corpse did? Exactly what you would expect. Nothing. It did not blink, did not twitch, did not shout. Nothing. The corpse was unresponsive. Let's read on. Let's read uh, Ephesians here, 
um, one to three and more fully um, flush out this state that we're in when we are born into this world. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And now I want you to notice, and I've underlined some of the words here, uh, because they all show they are past tense. Speaking to Christians, this was your former way of life. If you have not responded to Jesus Christ as your Savior, your soul still needs to be saved, and you need to respond to the Savior, Jesus Christ. But for those who have, this shows that it's past tense, where it says, you... Um, as for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. You were dead. That's the way you used to live, it tells us. Verse 3, all of us lived that way at one time. We used to be objects of wrath, past tense. When you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, sometimes we call it the great rescue. God Himself, through the Holy Spirit, and comes and dwells in you. You have the capacity, according to 1 Corinthians 2 at that point, to understand spiritual things in a much fuller way. You will start valuing and seeing life differently as you apply yourself to how, God's, how God works in tandem with His Word. And it's at this point, you no longer need saving. You no longer need saving. But you do need surgery. Daily. Daily. Cutting to the heart. Was about surgery. Saving first, then surgery. You know, the idea at one time that um, I was dead spiritually was a hard sell because I was raised in a good Mennonite home. I aimed to please my dad and mom. I wanted to fit in with the Christian culture I was immersed in because I knew uh, in so doing, you know, I, I, I would be well thought of. I would get attaboys. So, you know, I don't remember a time of being dead. I did not commit behaviors that were so wild and rebellious where the contrast might be so glaring that it may give me a sense of, oh man, I was really bad. That, that must be what dead was. When I tell my story, I say, you know, before I received Christ, I was a good kid. And then I received Christ. And I continued to be a good kid. Well, some people like my brother and my wife, my, my wife uh, may disagree that I continued to be a good kid, but uh, that would be my assessment, my self-assessment. 
God had to rescue me from my goodness. He had to rescue me from my goodness and convince me that spiritually, the eternal part of me that is uh, going to go to heaven, that's imperishable, according to 1 Corinthians 15, had to be saved. My goodness blinded me to my deadness. You can be very moral. You can do great deeds. You can be deeply religious and still be spiritually dead. We need to understand that when scriptures tell us that we are dead in our sins and transgressions, it's used in a legal sense. Not in a behavioral or emotional sense. It's not based on what you feel or what you think, but the legal documents, what our scriptures tell us. We're now talking spiritually. And it can be very confusing because we tend to think in just one dimension, and that's physical. And it's understandable because of our senses. It's all around us. In this world, when we come into it, we are not ready for the characteristics and the values of the eternal kingdom, God's kingdom. And we see that now from a second um, way that I want to appeal to you to consider that that entity within you that we call the heart or the soul needs to be saved is just from life itself. First scriptures, and now life itself. We are told that we are dead spiritually, and our souls need to be saved. And in verse 3, that we are by nature objects of wrath. At the very end, it says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. The problem goes deeper than our behavior. It goes much deeper. It goes to the core of a person's being when it says it's our nature. We are dead to the things of God, but we are alive to a nature that holds us a prisoner and predisposes us to various forces that will appeal to it. Values of this world dominate our hearts. Power, pride, pleasure. Can you step back? And just look at your own life and see if it's a commentary of something that needs to be either saved or needs to have surgery on by looking at the symptoms of power, pride, and pleasure as they manifest themselves up on the surface of your life. Do those tell you that something is wrong inside? Does the nightly news convince you that there is something wrong inside of every human being? The Bible tells us there is something wrong with us, and it's in our nature. Now, I, I read something when I was a teenager that helped me. And I want to see if this helps you. When we think in terms of our nature and the importance of knowing the difference between nature and behavior. And this was the, the statement. Um, do we have it up there? I, we don't have the um, video on the screen here, so I have to turn around sometimes. This is what it says. I, I want you to see it because if I just read it and you could not read it, it just may be confusing. I'm a horse thief 
Not because I steal horses. That would be behavior. I'm a horse thief, not because I steal horses, but because I'm a horse thief. It's my nature. And it's out of my nature, that's how I behave, and I steal horses. Look at the same kind of thought with sin. I'm not a sinner because I sin, but because I'm a sinner. It's my nature, and it's out of that nature and the impulses of that nature, I respond behaviorally by sinning. We are born with this nature. Life, certainly my own life, tells me, Ed, you need continually be cut to the heart. Continually. Because I discover, at least within me, how I experience it. There are many layers. Many layers. And all you can do is invite God to attack or, or to cut that next layer. Nine years ago, I received a phone call from a doctor telling me I had prostate cancer. Thankfully, I became aware of the cancer early and had it removed surgically. And as a result, I got a great report. We caught it early because of one reason. It was in the family. It was in the nature of our family, and it's highly hereditary. And so we paid attention to it. Ephesians tells us our family history, and it tells us that we, by nature, are objects of wrath because we are sinners. It says when transgressions that we have taken missteps. We have gone in the wrong direction. And we've missed the mark. We do not have God's kingdom characteristics and his values for the eternal kingdom in our heart. We are to be saved so that through the Spirit we can start incorporating them in the here and now. Objects of wrath, it's kind of startling there. You know, kind of shocking to, to think that in our sin we were uh, objects of God's wrath, but it's God's love that compels this wrath. Unlike you and I, it may be revenge or bitterness or just being angry. Uh -uh. Love compels God's wrath. His wrath is the most loving thing he can do. If you have a family member that you love and is an alcoholic, every time they return to the bottle to dull the pain in order to not face the reality that's causing the pain, it ought to make you angry. That anger is the most loving thing because you know this person that you love you want so much more for them. You know they were designed to be free and find their wholeness and their health in God, not in alcohol. You see that they are not free, but living in bondage. And every time they go back to the bottle to numb their pain, rather than hearing what the pain is saying to them, they numb it. 
and it just kills you. Your anger is an expression of your great love for them. Knowing that the freedom demands following the pain deep inside to find the source. It is hard. That's why they need a loving Heavenly Father that sometimes does the hard thing to get below the surface to find the source of what's causing it. Now, we may disregard our nature spiritually by distracting ourselves. The Bible lays out all the forces that may want to distract you or how you may numb your pain. You see there in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, the ways of the world. You can use ways of the world to numb it or the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Or in verse 3, we see the cravings of our sinful flesh or our sinful nature. Always, typically, we, we may try to numb it so we don't have to face whatever it is that's down at the core that God is trying to do the surgery on. Perhaps you are here listening and the idea of needing, needing saving or rescuing is annoying to you. The Bible says it plainly in Ephesians 2. So start there and consider, are these words true? You need to investigate where the Bible are the words of God and then see life experiences and what are they communicating. Do they, uh, do they demonstrate to you that there is a problem? And as you look at the words, do the words in here address the dilemmas that we have in life most clearly and helpfully? Bible speaks clearly. And I would say your life, if you take a step back, will demonstrate that you are in peril. And you do need saving. And if you already have responded to Jesus Christ, submit to the master surgeon who wants so much more for you, more than that you can even conceive and imagine if you submit to the scalpel of the loving surgeon. Uh, I want you to bow your heads now as I continue. Uh, um, just bow your heads because I want to share with you an analogy uh, from John Piper. He says, you were not in a doghouse, but you were on a slab in the morgue. If you are in a doghouse, you might whimper. You might appear cute to be released from the confinement but you're not in the doghouse. You're on a slab in the morgue. Education, legislation, psychology, good deeds may improve the quality of life, but it does not bring life to a dead body. Remember, you were dead. And then we read in verse 4, but God.
Sometimes words get in the way of what God may want to do. I thought music would be most appropriate there. And Matt, thank you for picking out a good song. You know, all week, no matter how much the ways of the world, I talked about the forces that 
uh, you might go to to try to numb the pain, but God is trying to uh, get you to realize that needs to be surgically removed, whether it's the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom, or the sinful nature that try to choke life out of you. Just remember at that time, just take a step back and just say, but God. Don't go far. Don't go far. But God. But God. When the pressures of life and chaos and loneliness, whatever it is that tries to choke that life out of you, you were dead in sin. You're still subject to its influence. Take a step back and say, but God. We see, and he raised us to this new life here and now. It tells us in verse 5, he made us alive. At one time in verse 6, at one time you were dead, but God has raised us up. All past tense. At one time you were dead, but God, and again in verse 6, he has seated you with him in the heavenly realms. This is positionally true now in Christ. Positionally. It will be fully realized in the next age. We talked about this age in Ephesians chapter 1. The next age. Things will be different in the next age. If you have not asked Jesus Christ to save you, do so. Will you receive him today? And I tell you again, whether you're in this room or or, uh, watching on Zoom or even sometime later, call Faith Church. I, any of the staff, the elders, we have countless folks that can share with you to give you the space to think about the claims of Jesus Christ and the scriptures so that you can come to your Conclusion and decision. You do not need more education, more religion, more legislation. You need a Savior who has the power to resurrect dead bodies. Invite Jesus Christ to come in and save you. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember... Therefore, remember that formerly, uh, what it's telling us, remember at one time you were dead. Don't forget that. That's what it's telling you. Don't forget that understanding that you were dead, the capabilities that are still resident within you to do. That's why ongoing surgery is critical. The cutting to the heart that we were challenged with over three weeks. That's a lifestyle of staying clean with your heavenly Father, preparing your own heart for this future age where there's this eternal, imperishable kingdom. Remember. One practical way of remembering is baptism. Baptism is a picture of this very portion of Scripture where you realize at one time you were dead and we put you down into the water. And I like how Derek does it. Um, you were um, um, 
buried with Christ, dead in sin, as he puts you down in the water, but he raised you as he brings you out with his voice for new life. Baptism is a picture of what God has already done within that space within you that is eternal, that is imperishable. If you've not been baptized, we want to rejoice with you and celebrate by having you come and be a part of uh, right here in that um, Palm Sunday on the 28th service. So let us know. We'll talk to you more about baptism so it's clear. Let's pray. My God, I, God, I, I know from my own life, just my relationship with Connie, uh, that part that is within me that is still... Uh, susceptible to corruption. The values that are not a part of your kingdom and your character. Forgive me, God, for judgmentalism, anger that wants to punish, holding grudges, Those are all symptoms, Lord, of something deeper. Something that I'm holding on to tightly. Sometimes I'd rather just numb the pain. When we get to this level, it's a spiritual work. Words won't take us there. But that's what we're about. Do your work, Lord. Amen.